Welcome to the Side Yard Sidebar. Grab your beverage of choice and find a seat around the fire pit. Make yourself comfortable and we'll sit around and maybe watch a couple ducks land on the pond as we bring you discussion with substance and the best visitors from Boise and beyond. This is the Side Yard Sidebar. This is the Side Yard Sidebar. Thank you for joining us. And tonight, you're with your host, Zach, and your co-host, and the best producer of podcasts in the country, Dusty. Thank you so much. That makes me feel so good when you say that. Hey, I'm hyping you up because you deserve it. You do a great job. You handle a lot of things behind the scenes um, with editing and other things, and you're you're killing it. We've had a lot of good compliments Sound quality and just, I mean, the list goes on. Thank Very you. nice. Awesome. It's I love great it. to be here with you tonight. And we will kick it off with the beverage of choice. And uh, Dusty, what's your beverage of choice tonight? So I went to uh, Fast Eddie's down the street on Eagle Road. And uh, they filled up a growler of the Sculpin IPA, which is amazing. One of your favorites. The Sculpin is so good. It's yeah. from San Diego. Uh, brewery in uh, San Diego, and I enjoy the Sculpin and definitely the Grapefruit Sculpin. Yeah, they didn't have that. I asked him, I was like, do you ever get Grapefruit Sculpin? He said, not too often, but oh Hey, because well. when they get it, 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 they're just like, we can't keep it stocked. It oh, just yeah. flies off the shelves. So that's what I have. What do flies you have out of the cake. Um, I did have a taste of the Sculpin. You were kind enough to uh, to buy that. I had a little little glass of that, and then... We had a couple options on the shelf, including mm-hmm. some Maker's Mark, but I went with the Canadian whiskey tonight with some Seagram's. Yep. Um, the VO, which is still pending. I need to look up what does the VO mean, yeah. but it's a really nice taste. It's smooth. I enjoy it. You know, I am a bourbon guy, but that Canadian whiskey every now and then, give me a Crown Royal, a Pendleton, a Seagram's. I mean, it's really nice, smooth. Yeah. Shout out to Webb on that one. He uh, came into town and pretty much said, here, for the side yard, here's my leftover that I didn't drink, which the side yard accepts all donations of anything. Oh, donations are very welcome here. Yep. So, uh, And especially those donations, because that thing was more than half full. Oh, yeah. Like, that was no, like, here's the last 10% of this bottle. No, no. way. No, he Very he uh, donated that. Appreciate that, and he donated a a uh, bottle of Maker's Mark for us, which we always appreciate. So thanks, Webb. Appreciate it. Webb, you're the man. Thank you so much. So I wanted to kick off the night by talking to you about the trip. You know, last podcast we had, we said you you were talking about your father son trip. Yeah. And so tell us how did it go? What were the highlights of the trip? Anything crazy happen? Um, no. So the trip was, I took my son and, um, we went to a camp and there was about three, four other dads and about seven other first, second grade boys. And I'm a first grade teacher. So it, like, I I felt comfortable there. Um, but man, those kids don't go to sleep. Like the most ridiculous thing, the first night of sleeping. Um, I'm so proud of my son, Jonah. He stayed in bed like he was awesome. Some of the other kids, no joke. It was, I need some water. All right, go get water. 
So they'd crawl out of their bunk, go get water. Five minutes later, I need to go to the bathroom. All right, go get like any excuse to get out. Forty-five minutes, we were cracking up like it was the worst. So, um, that's the camp experience, though. I feel like anybody that went to camp. I mean, I don't know if everybody goes as a first, second grader. I think for me, it was maybe fourth grade. Yeah, or you know, I was a little bit older, but it doesn't matter. I mean, whenever your first camp is, I I know those butter the butterflies, and you're just so amped up and. Yeah, it it's was hard to go to bed that first it, night or two. <laughs> it was. And and the boys like the parents we went with and our cabin leader um were awesome that we had dance parties for the boys. Uh, you know, we were supposed to sit down at night and like talk, but first second grade boys don't like to talk at night. They want to play. So we just straight up let them go outside and play. Um highlights, Jonah was awesome on the uh, climbing wall something that he excels oh, nice. at. Uh, he loved that. Um, Dude, he's super strong, but like low body weight at this point. Oh, yeah. So I could see him just tearing up that Oh, thing. he went up so fast. I have a video. I nice. may even post it on our side yard Instagram. Throw it on the Instagram. Because we'll he, uh, yeah, he was awesome. So what were the other activities? Um, they got to do archery, which Jonah oh, has never done. And he didn't like that because he wasn't successful at it. Um, archery's t- I mean, it's difficult. You got to pull that back. Yeah. Hard and, you know. Yeah, and he wasn't r- quite ready for that. So yeah. we did that. Um, we did uh, the Snack Shack. A lot of the boys, there was one boy. <laughs> he was so cool. But he, at 10 o'clock in the morning, he got a Coke. And he's not allowed to drink Coke. So <laughs> he just buys it at the Snack Shack and pounds it. It was awesome. <laughs> was his adult guardian there? Or no, like how did no he-, he came on his own. Oh, with okay. us, and it was it was hilarious. So some kids come with their parents, and then some have yeah. like a sh- uh, chaperone outside of their parents if they or like yeah, he came with us. So there's three or four dads that could watch him. Oh, cool. And so, uh, so yeah, a lot. So of wait, kids... did you know he shouldn't have it before hey, or it's camp? <laughs> it's camp. Oh a lot gosh. of kids were like, "Can Until I?" Until have... he added and went crazy. Yeah. No, he was cool. So what happened? Nothing. He was cool. Oh, but okay. a lot of them were like, "Can I have this?" And I was like, "Yeah, man, go ahead." Like, can I have some candy? The cool dad. We all the dads were like, "That's like, yeah, man, this is camp." Yeah, camp is camp, isn't it? So Jonah, That's amazing. Jonah was very thoughtful in his snack stuff. He didn't buy a bunch of sugar. He wanted a stuffed animal, and he got that, and stayed within his limit, which was cool. But yeah, it was it was a great time. Really enjoyed it. Trini Pines, T Pines up in uh, Cascade. Cascade, Idaho. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, Cascade's always a good good time, and it's not that far from Boise. You have an hour and a half with no traffic. You know, if you hit a little traffic, maybe more than that. But yeah, it's not too really quick to get up there. And and when you get up there, you're in the mountains. I mean, yeah, hiking, and you know, you got the pine trees, the lake. Cascade's great. Yeah, it's a great place. Now uh, we're gonna transition in, and and this week we wanted to. Talk about something that we've kind of discussed before. We've had a get to know, get to know your hosts. And uh, this week, um, we're going to ask Zach some questions um, because as friends, you know, I, I, I know Zach and I didn't know all the details of his fall from the, from the cliff and he didn't know all the details of my heart attack. And so we talked about that And this week, something you may not know about Zach, but he served um, in Iraq for a year, 
and we've we kind of know that about him. Um, but outside of that, I don't know a whole lot about what his service was like. And so tonight we're just going to spend some time talking about his service and some of those details that most of us might not know, like, um, you know, where he sleeps and what meals were like and things like that. So the first thing I'm going to ask you, Zach, is why did you join in the first place? Yes. So for that, the... I appreciate the topic, and when we started the podcast, I figured um, as we talked to each other, this would come up, so I definitely appreciate that. And overall, for me, I grew up in a family where I didn't necessarily have um, a straight path into college or university, and so for me, that was like the main thing on my mind, is I thought man, I really want to be able to pay for college or university and not go into a bunch of debt. Um, But there's another half of it where, like, even as a young kid, one of those things where people say, what do you want to do when you grow up? There were, like, two things on my mind, which was be a soldier and be a teacher. Like, those were the two things that stood out. And so there was a little bit of that passion or idea, even as an early, um, you know, a young child, Um, but then practically, you know, my parents didn't necessarily say, here's your nest egg for college or my grandparents, you know, and I think there, there were some means to help me. Um, and especially if I asked and just demanded it, but I kind of, I don't know. I said, I want to carve my own path. And, uh, when I was in 11th grade, I was at Boise high school in history class of all things, second period. And that's when the planes hit the trade center. And I watched 9-11 happen. And at that point, all of those other feelings of, you know, practically joining the military to pay for college and then also wanting to be a soldier my whole life, there was something that kicked in. And I said, yep, this is what I'm doing. And um, I joined early in my senior year when I was still 17. My parents had to sign some waivers uh, so that I was able to join before I was 18 and I joined the Idaho National Guard, so in, in the Army National Guard, I didn't do the active duty because I wanted to do the National Guard where I could still go to basic, get get the job training, but come back and then go to Boise State. So that was my goal is to uh, start my military stuff with the Guard and then come back and go to Boise State University. And ultimately, those were some of the things that led up to it and when I look back on it, it it is kind of weird to dissect those things you think about as a kid or even a high schooler. You have these dreams and thoughts. And, uh, when you look back on it, life kind of happens, but that was one of those things that I was just passionate about and it felt right. And it, it felt like, man, this is my path. And I just, even as a 17-year-old, I said, boom, I'm going for this. What'd your parents say when you told them? Because to, to have them sign off on the waivers, like they had to be there and support you. So how did that conversation go? I think my dad was uh, proud from what I remember and had some concerns and questions for sure. My mom, it seemed like, was a little, you know, more questions, more a little bit of anxiety um, and fear. But even for her, I mean, as soon as... It was like, hey, here's what I'm doing, and here's why I'm doing it. 
they were very supportive. And I, I can't even imagine being that parent. And 9-11 just happened. And we're going, you know, the country's going to Afghanistan. At that point, we didn't know we're going to Iraq yet, but we're definitely going to Afghanistan and war is happening. And, oh, my son wants to join. I think the fact that it was National Guard probably helped a little bit. And the fact that it's like, hey, I'm going for school. And, you know, I can't remember all the things I said, but I'm sure I was sweet talking. You know, here's, <laughs> you know, here's the good sides of it. And, um, but my dad's dad fought in World War II. He was a medic, uh, fought through, you know, Northern Africa, up through Italy. Um, and, you know, so I think my dad definitely looked at some of the things and, and some of the things we talked about and said, you know, deep down was proud, which, yeah. it, which feels good now. And, um, but I think they, I don't know, as a parent now, I think, my gosh, there's no way. But when your kid wants something and if they have the mindset and the reason behind it, then you want to be supportive. Yeah. Um, totally agree. Something that I think all parents need to do is, uh, make sure our kids have a focus. And once they have that focus, support them. Yeah. One, we'll roll through them really quick, a little bit off the topic, but like Danielle and I are, were talking a little bit ago and, and one of our daughters really wants to be a chef. And we, we were talking about like if later in life, all of a sudden she says, I don't want to go to university or college. And, and we think college is important. Get your education. But she says, no, I want to go to culinary school and I want to, I'm just going to be a chef right out the gate. It's kind of like, it's a similar thing for my parents. Hey, I want to join the army and a war just started, but I want to join the army. And if, if one of my daughters says, this is what I want to do. And it's not the traditional path. I have the empathy or, you know, this, um, experience to say, okay, maybe that is the right thing. Yeah. Because if it's the passion, that's what matters. If it's a thing you really want and you're going to go for it and do it all the way 100%, maybe that's what's more important than my idea as a parent of you need a four-year degree or else you won't succeed in life. No, the world's evolving. That yeah. That's a little too rigid. And um, as much as all of us would maybe prefer that and prefer a traditional profession, it may not work out that way. Yeah. No, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, all right. So back on topic, you, you enlist what's basic like. Yeah. So, um, the nice thing about enlisting at 17 is I go out to Gowan field in, uh, Boise, Idaho for some of my, uh, what did they call it? Drill. So drill is for national guard people. You'll do like a Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. Sometimes it might just be a Saturday, Sunday, or sometimes it might be a, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, each month, it's once a month, and each month has kind of a different schedule. And I got to experience that with some of the guys that I would eventually be serving with before I went to basic. So that's my first shout-out in that regard because the Idaho Army National Guard did a great job of giving me some pointers, putting me in contact with the right people, and giving me some of the training of what to expect. Um, my first airplane ride ever was to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, for basic training. Wow. Yeah. So as a kid, like, our vacations were in the Northwest. It was like, 
Let's drive to the Oregon coast. Let's go to Salt Lake. Let's go to McCall, Sun Valley, you know, uh, just kind of things around the Northwest that we drove to. And with a family of, of four kids, you know, six of us, I can see why, you know, my parents didn't fly us everywhere. I get that. And we still had some fun vacations. But anyway, my first plane flight is to Fort Sill. I just remember feeling nervous. Um, you fly into the Oklahoma City Airport, and then everybody gets on a bus. And guys are chatting. And for me, it was kind of a, a quiet bus ride to myself, you know, a little bit of anxiety, like what to expect. And you get to basic training, and it's it gets serious real quick. Yeah, the drill sergeants are right there to greet you off the bus, and you have the intake center, and uh, you get into some barracks and just metal bunks and just bare bones. You got a, a chow hall, but right away they're teaching you how to march, how to get in formation, and all the basics. But you send you spend about I think maybe it was a week, and each day it's very structured. Like you have your medical day, your day to get your uniform your day to get all your other gear, uh, even your running shoes. And and it's re- just very structured, kind of boring, though, because you're just going from thing to thing. But at that point, they really want people locked in. So you have the – it's not necessarily downtime, but you have this you know, processing where you're going through this huge warehouse. Get your pants. You need four sets of pants. Put them in your duffel bag. Yeah. Go and get your boots. You get two pairs of boots. Try them on. Do they fit? Okay, put them in your duffel bag. Go get your underwear. You know, just station after station, man. It's a well-oiled machine. Wow. Um. So anyway, the processing, I mean, it just, you know right away. It's structure. Listen to what you're told. Don't screw around. And then you get to your group that you're with in Fort Sill. Our group had uh, four different um, I think they call them companies. It was company A, B, C, and D. I was in company C and in our unit, and um, I enjoyed the basic training. Honestly, yeah, it was structured. If you screwed around, there were definitely consequences. Like um, what? What kind of? I mean, what like, would dude, screw around our, be, and then what was your consequence? So our drill sergeants were competitive, which I love that competitive yeah. nature. But they're like. Because all through basic training, you're doing these things like you go and learn how to shoot. You do an obstacle course. You do your your running, your sit-ups, your push-ups. And, like, there's different things where you get graded. And, and the whole goal is that competition. Which group's better, A, B, C, or D? Well, our drill sergeants, whether it's true or not, they're telling us, the last three groups we've had were number one. They finished at the top of this class. You will do that as well. <laughs> And, oh, yeah, and it's like, and for me, I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. Our group wasn't that great. <laughs> oh, my gosh, we had, oh, it was rough. But, so, here's an example. Like, one of the times we come back from this march, where you know, you're marching out a couple miles to the shooting range. You do your shooting. Dudes weren't listening. Dudes weren't shooting well. And our group finished last that day in whatever they were grading or evaluating. And we get back to the barracks. The sun's barely going down. I, I went to basic training just after 4th of July. Okay. So I graduated, um, took a little bit of the summer to have fun, 
and like July sixth or seventh, I shipped off. So Oklahoma in the summer is Nasty. super hot. Yeah, oh, oh it's just so bad, gross. muggy hot. And so it was like August, so it's warm. But we come back in the and it's like nine nine thirty at night, and the sun's just barely going down. Gets the hose, no, has somebody yells at somebody. Gets a hose, like we are marching information. Um, oh my gosh, I'm totally screwing this up, but. No. You have a thing where you march in place. I forget what it's called. Mar- mark time march or something. That's oh my all gosh, right. all my military friends can mock <laughs> me for that. But yeah, you march in place and he gets somebody, they finally get the hose, hooks it up to the outside of the building and is just hosing us down. Right in our face. Don't move. March. Stop. Stand at attention. Stand at ease. And just hosing us down. And it's like... At the time, you're like, what the hell's happening? Like, I've been doing well. I'm doing my best. And they yeah. do those things to break you down. And I understand that that part of breaking you down. And because when you get out there and you start to do things, things aren't perfect. Things get screwed up. Somebody messes up and you still have to go on. And at the time, I remember being like, at the, you know, kind of like, this is weird. This is funny. And then also kind of being like angry, like, why is this happening? I haven't been screwing around. I shot well today. I listened to everything. But no, hey, the group fails or wins together. And those are the lessons. Like, it's kind of a funny story, like a drill sergeant with a freaking garden hose just spraying (laughs) dudes down in their full uniform, spraying dudes right in the face, right in the freaking, you know. But it was like, man, later you realize there was such a good purpose and a good lesson. And those were the things like after that happened, it was like, okay, go get cleaned up within 20 minutes, shower and in your bunks within 20 minutes. And it, everybody's just like, let's go, let's go. And you saw the encouragement and trying to get better and trying to figure it out. And those are some of the things of basic training. That's just one story, but there's multiple stories like that that are tough that, you know, they, there's definitely that breakdown, but it's teaching you something. It's teaching you to be a team. It's putting you through a little adversity, trying to see what are you going to do? Because guess what? And they would even tell us. I mean, 9-11 happened. I mentioned that before. They would even tell us, you are you may get done with this and go to your job training and go straight to Iraq, go straight to Afghanistan. They weren't screwing around with that. And I think that's why they were very intense in the basic training at the time that I went. When you were in your company, was there someone or multiple people that you knew just weren't going to cut it? Like, did anyone leave from basic because they couldn't handle it? Yeah, in the basic training, one thing that's interesting is they do have people that get, um, like at Fort Sill, they called it recycled. Um, you do have some people that kind of get completely kicked out. Like, if they, that happens randomly. Like, let's say they light on something and it didn't get caught, and then it comes back that they're like a, pedophile felon or something like I'm, that's kind of extreme but like <laughs> i mean magical. there's things like you can't be in the military for so there was a couple times that like dudes got snatched out it's like you're out of the army and they were graceful about it but it was like nope you're gone now the recycled thing though one cool thing about basic training that was an eye-opener is there's dudes from everywhere and i remember this guy he's from the bronx that bronx accent that new york i'm new york tough and um and, oh, he had no, you know, there was 
a clear reason he joined. He saw 9-11, dude. He's from New York. And yeah. he got pissed and he joined, man. And props to him. But he gets in a fight with a guy from Texas. Really? And yeah. And it was just a, a disagreement. But the dude from the Bronx just blew it out of proportion. But you just see those people. I'm from Boise, Idaho. Like there was nobody else from Idaho. I just kind of tried to stay behind the scenes. But you see the different personalities. East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, and... A couple dudes that I knew were from Kentucky, and those guys were so smart, so resourceful in terms of practical skills. Like, hey, uh, do your bootlaces this way or do your uniform this way. Like, those dudes were so sharp and and taught me so many things. Like, congrats Mm. to my friends from Kentucky. But anyway, the, the fight, the guy from New York, guy from Texas have a disagreement, and the dude from the Bronx was in the wrong, and he got recycled. And I, I don't know his story. I hope he, you know, we were about three weeks in. And uh, so he had to go back and start at week one with another group. Oh, okay. And I hope he learned it. But he w- he was angry. He he had, he had was a hothead. And um, there's some aggression and, I don't know, anger that's kind of okay or right. acceptable at a certain level. But if it goes too much, too hard, and then you're fighting a dude from Texas for whatever random reason, come on, man. You can't do that. So, yeah. okay. Um, but that blend of people, man, it's amazing. Just all over the country, it, that was an eye opener. So, I'd like to fast forward to your time in Iraq. You spent a year there serving, which, thank you. I mean, we've said this before, but you're our favorite veteran, and oh, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate your willingness to go and do that. That's awesome, dude. That that time you had the veterans day karaoke man that was uh it felt good and you did a little tribute and now we've done it annually and it just feels good man i enjoy coming there and and even now i'm bartending it with you and we're kind of hosting it together and but i love singing a couple songs and just yeah i enjoy it thank you for the thanks and absolutely and we will do that if any of our listeners want to join us next year, Veterans Day. Just let us know. It's uh, it's an amazing time. So we're going over to Iraq. And I want to ask you things that you probably aren't asked normally. Like people want to know, what's your war stories? What's this? What's that? I want to know, where did you live? Like in the movies, you see some like plywood shacks or whatever. Some people think you live in, I don't I don't know, hotels or whatever. Tell me where where did you live when you were over there? So when when I went with the group that I went with, we went to northern Iraq, Kirkuk, Iraq, and it was our main base that we were at was a airfield, and so there were, you know, flights with C one thirties bringing supplies or troops in quite regularly, and my place was a um, shipping container, just a metal shipping container. Uh, normal size if you haven't seen one just google it and in my case i was lucky there were some people that had three or four people in one for our group at the you know from the time we started it was just me and another guy so there was two of us we put like a a junky kind of rickety metal uh bunk bed on each side so this is how we set ours up you know bunk bed on each end would put our gear on the top bed, you know, and line up any supplies, any gear, and then we'd sleep on the bottom. Uh, man, my 
my uh, roommate or you know buddy in in our shipping container sores man he was a great guy love him to this day and um he was awesome he was um you know when i went i was 19 years old yeah and he was like 25 26 had a wife and his wife would send us stuff and so we had a nice little wooden entertainment center built in the middle and a mini fridge wow and then we both had those skinny high school lockers just one each so more gear in there. That was mainly weapons. You could lock it um, and other gear, body armor. Sandbags built up around the outside. Um, but back to the entertainment center, we had a nice little TV, small little air conditioning unit that, in our case, it worked pretty well. Like like out of the it was, shipping it was container? Like, or what? Um, you know, drilled into the side of the shipping container. Just one of the, what do you call it, a wall unit. Yeah. And ours worked well. There's some people that didn't work well. I got lucky, man. Because, I mean, there was days of one, 120, oh, you know, 110. Gosh. Um, really hot summers. and But then that entertainment center, the TV, it was the best thing because she, you know, Soar's wife sent uh, The Sopranos. So we watched, you know, multiple seasons of The Sopranos. We watched Deadwood. I mean, there was just like, if we come back from a mission... It was like, okay, let's put on an episode of The Sopranos, one or two, and we just chill out. And it was that was kind of like one of our things. You could go work out, uh, you could go to the Chow Hall, or and then you could like watch Sopranos. So that's what we did, or you know, watch uh, movies. So did I you- really appreciate him, man, because he had some good music and good setup. And I was just a nineteen-year-old kid. I probably would have just roughed it with like reading books, and but he totally hooked it up. All right. Did did you have electricity in there? Like, did you have a light? Yeah. So then you, uh, for ours, we did have a light. And um, I don't know, for ours, there were issues with some of them. But for ours, it was pretty functional, man. The light, you'd have to walk um, to these other trailer type things that were the showers and bathrooms. Now, those weren't always as dependable. Uh, maybe one would have a water problem or electricity. Well, you could just go to the other one, you know, walk a little farther. Yeah. Um, but it was just this whole village of like, you know, built up berms within, you know, rows of, you know, livable shipping containers and then rows of trailers you shower at. We had an internet cafe at that point, um, you know, because we couldn't have cell phones. I think if you were like a high enough rank or, like an Intel person, you could probably have a sat phone, but that was, even that was just for missions. If you needed to call home, you had like a phone cafe or an internet cafe to send emails. Um, so that was cool. And the group I was with though, I mean, these guys were amazing. I feel like for me in some ways as a 19 year old, I felt like I had some good skills as a soldier. Like I was young, I was strong, I, you know, had certain skills within weapon systems or just brute force, I guess. But I was so young and I did some stupid things that these guys that were with me, because I was in the National Guard, were older, were experienced. They had a life. They had kids. They had a wife. They had a family. When you go on active duty, you're probably with, in most cases, a bunch of young guys. Like, it's just a bunch of dudes that got out of high school or college and joined the military. 
with my group, there were dudes in their mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s. And for all the stupid things I did, they gave me a lot of grace. They taught me. I mean, there were times they were hard on me, which now, looking back on it, I really appreciate. Um, But they looked at it in a different lens. Like, if I went back and did it now, I feel like I'd be more on their level of, like, I'm fighting for something. I got a family to go home to. For me, I was a little reckless and a little stupid. And like, they had to reel me in. And, um, I really appreciate those guys. But even within our living conditions, there were things like cleanliness and like, let's have everybody over to watch a movie tonight. Like the sense of community was really strong with those guys. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so much now looking back on it. Oh, that's, that's awesome. <clears throat> and thinking about living in a shipping container when it's 120 degrees out is ridiculous. Those AC units, if they work well, if they pump it out enough, I mean, it it can do okay. All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll take your word for that one. Hey, let's wrap up part one of this interview. If you want to listen to part two, just tune into the next episode and we'll just pick up... Uh, right where we left off. So, uh, yeah, tune in. Part two. Let's pick up part two of episode nine, where we talk to our host, Zach, about his time in Iraq and get some different insights from him. So we're just going to pick up where we left off. Here we go. <laughs> you do, okay. All right. So then let's go. Uh, what time did you wake up in the morning and what time did you go to bed at night? For our group, it was interesting because when we first got there for the job that I had with ground surveillance radar and reconnaissance, it was they didn't have an exact mission for our group. So the first mission we had was taking interrogators and counter intel officers to all their different things they had to do. So, hey, we got to go to this base and interrogate this person or we need to go to this city and pick up, you know, capture this person and go interrogate him or go pick up intel we were kind of just like their security and their convoy um security to get them around later in the deployment though we had and more of a schedule and so i remember at one point it was like 24 hours on or no 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 excuse me the bulk of it was 12 hours on so you would either have all the whole day shift like six to six or you'd have the six at night to six in the morning and me and um the guy i was partnered with usually had the night shift so you'd go out it was um you know a convoy with some of the scouts within our battalion and we would go out there we'd get set up and then for our group we were looking for people planting ieds at night So we'd have a section of roadway, a section of highway, and we're looking for people out there planting IEDs. And um, if we were able to track them or find them, then we go try to catch them. And um, 
those ones were interesting. So it would be 12 hours on, 24 hours off. Okay. And that was a pretty nice schedule. Other people didn't necessarily necessarily have that. Even within ours, though, there were times where they're like, oh, you're off, but guess what? We have something that came up. And so I feel like everybody that was there probably had just, I mean, when you're there, it's just 24 hours in a way because at any time you've got to be able to go. And our group was, you know, similar to that. And there were times where, like, if you were out there for a long time, they would say, for sure, the next 12 hours, you're good. Rest, do what you need to do. But there was other times it's like, okay, you're off, but you're not off. Like, be ready at any time. My leaders, I really appreciate them. They did a really good job of communicating that, of trying to set some sort of structure, even when they're at times couldn't be. Um, so if you have good leaders, you know, even in the civilian world with whatever job you have, if they can communicate and just try to give you the heads up about things, doesn't that feel so good? And that's the same way in the military. Like, man, if I can just know a little bit about what's coming up ahead of me instead of guessing and potentially having that anxiety or or not knowing, it definitely helps. What about the food? What about the food? We eat the food, okay. The food. I mean, the chow, chow hall. So yeah. I feel like when we went to I or got into Iraq, they do a good job of trying to make it as nice as they can. Like they're like, you're in country, you're at war, and some of these people might just be on the base the whole time and have like an admin job or a mechanics job. Doesn't matter. It's still stressful. You still have to do a job. Fix the Humvee for the people that go out there. Or or for my group, like, we're going out there on missions. So they really tried to make it as good as they could. Several options, um, you know, a salad bar if they could, as much Gatorade or soda as you wanted, and you could even take some back to your mini fridge. Um, at one point, we had some ice cream options. Like, when you're done with your food, you could get a dessert. But the rough things were, like, leading up to the Iraq stuff. Um, I remember being in Fort Bliss, Texas. There were times where it was, like, boiled hot dogs and, like, really <laughs> nasty chili. Um, oh, gosh, just some rough options. And when we would go on missions and stay at, like, smaller bases or if you're at, like, a um, safe house within the city or something like that, that's more bare bones. And everybody in the military knows that if everything hits the fan or you're out there on a mission, it's MREs. Yeah. And with MREs, you just, there's some you like, there's some you don't, you know, you pick through it and hopefully get enough stuff. The thing for me, I felt like in Iraq, the main thing was hydration though. Make sure you have the water, make sure you have the Gatorade, make sure you're, uh, you're doing that and they made sure that was available and you had fresh water available to you at any time yeah a lot of bottled water it would just be on these huge um pallets and they'd get it into like a tent area and you just go you could take bottles of water and then like for us we'd put it in our camelback or you know fill up canteens sometimes just take bottles and 
there were times, I mean, it didn't matter if the, like, there wasn't, it's not like we had coolers and ice and cold water, but at times you didn't care. Like, I don't care if it was, like, completely warm water. I just needed water. Right. And, like, that's the harsh reality of, you know, being in the Army and war. And um, I think there were things, like, on hot days or things about, like, drinking warm water. It's like. Man, this is such an inconvenience. But for me, I would sit there and be like, dude, what did these guys do in the Civil War, in World War One, and World right? War Two? And I'm complaining because, you know, I'm in the middle of this town and, you know, I'm sitting here and I've got to guard this section of the road. And, and um, you know, with we're let's say we're doing security and I'm drinking warm water and I want to complain. And then I'm like, really? This is what I'm complaining about? So... There were enough things that, you know, I could probably gripe about. But for me, it was just that mindset of like, really? Come on. Yeah. Let's battle through this. This is war. Come right. on. It's modern warfare, but it's war. It's still war. Um, so <clears throat> you mentioned earlier about um, downtime. You watch The Sopranos and um, the uh, the wife of your would you call him a bunk mate? What would you? What or you just call my roommate? You Your know, roommate. like me and uh, Soares. His last name was Soares, Greg Soares, and um, yeah, Shout just uh, my roommate. I guess I can't remember what I called him back then. Okay. But so she sent you Sopranos. What kind? You talked about uh, there was sometimes when it was time off, and you they said you have this time off, or they said you have this time off, but you're not really off. We're ready to go. So in your time off, in your downtime, what did you do? What did other people do to just kind of shut down, relax, you know, get back to their, I don't know, their kind of peace, their kind of home, I guess. Yeah, for our group, there was, um, you know, some options. A lot of guys had laptops, computers, and they were... Um, would have certain games on there they could play. People would go to the internet cafe or the the call cafe and call home, email home. Uh, and then there were gyms. Like for me, one thing, like when I um, took off for our deployment for the training and then to Iraq, I was 165 pounds. When I came back, I was 215 pounds because I was going to the gym. And I was just lifting and getting big and uh, taking creatine. And, <laughs> you know, and I was just freaking lifting a lot of weight. And there were other guys that were doing that, too. Like one of the, one of our sergeants, Sergeant Wolf, you know, he just you could see him as we got deployed. He just slimmed down at first and then, boom, lifting the weight got so strong. And um, and other guys, too. But there were. um some activities they would try to have too where you could go play ping pong or like have a music night and we couldn't have alcoholic beverages but they'd have like uh slushies and like have a coke and um like a poker night one time i remember going to one of the poker nights and it was just like they would be like thursday night at eight o'clock and if you're on a mission you obviously can't go but if there was nothing going on and you were rested and wanted to go to a poker night go to a poker night Okay. So they they tried to do those fun activities and I forget what that place was called, but where the main base I was at had this big tent 
and it was like called the um anyway the name of it's not important but right they just tried to do some activities that made it normal or they even had bunko night where you're doing the rolling really? the dice <laughs> and stuff so i did that one time and there'd be times where i'd have like two three four weeks where i couldn't do any of it like you're just on missions back to back but then there were times where you'd be like okay i've got some time i'm gonna sleep go take a shower or you know go work out go take a shower and i'm gonna go play poker night or bunko. so you're bunko <laughs> night. so good good on that base good for uh that main base there in kirkuk and the people there they tried to make it fun and i feel like there's some sort of mos i can't think of it right now but there's some sort of group that's like kind of in charge of like it's not administration but something that's in charge of trying to like improve troops like morale. Well, morale and welfare okay. and even some of the officers i'm sure they helped in doing that we did have an awesome thing too where the local kirkuk police soccer team played the army soccer team so in high school and stuff i had never played soccer but i was kind of athletic and they're putting the team together i'm like no i've never played soccer well finally one of the one of the lieutenants was like dude you're athletic nobody else wants to play goalie will you play goalie you don't have to play on the field you know soccer but you can play goalie i was like okay i'll play goalie and I thought that was a good idea. I'm like, wow, I'm part of the team. They picked me. And then the, these dudes came on the field and started launching shots. And I was like, what did I do? Why did I sign up for this? And they did have a little mercy on us. But, man, those guys were good. They traded jerseys with us afterwards. We gave them our Army PT uh, shirts, and they gave us their Kirkuk police jerseys. I still have that. Awesome. So oh, yeah, there were great. things like that mixed in there, just here and there, and you those were fun because you're you're at war, you're in country, and the base we were on, people were launching mortars and rockets at us regularly. Like I mean, there was, you know, I I wouldn't say by any means you live in constant fear. You sort of just get used to it and yeah. just part of life. But it's just cool how they could interject some normal stuff in there That's while awesome. you're still. You know, like three hours from now, you might go outside of the wire and get engaged or get hit by an ID. But for now, come play poker. I love it. So I'm sure now they're hooking up Xboxes or PS4s and playing video games and more whatever, you know, whatever game they're they're doing. But um, but how how long has it been since you've been there? So when I went, it was OAF three. Operation Iraqi Freedom 3, um, and it was, let's see, uh, October or November of 04 until October or November of 05, pretty okay. much a year. The first initial invasion was OIF-1, but that wasn't a full year. Um, that was kind of like they went up through Kuwait, took Iraq. I, I can't remember exactly. Maybe it was six months. Then they had the first group in there, and then we were that second group in there. Okay, so it's been it's been a little while. So it's probably changed a little bit. Oh yeah. Well, at this point, I mean, like Obama, they had they had the withdrawal from Iraq officially. Mm. Now Afghanistan's still happening. So, and, and that's kind of the sad thing. Like there's still things going on. But even for me, as a veteran and as a former soldier, I'm still not keeping up on it. And maybe that's, I mean, is that on me? Probably a little bit. Is it based on the media not 
sharing the stories. I mean, it's just kind of sad to think there's still a war in Afghanistan and even me, even others probably don't even know it. They don't think about it. Right. Um, so then let's, let's get on to another subject that maybe we can, um, encourage the current troops over there. Um, when you were over there were care packages delivered, who typically sent them and what did your, what was your thing when someone would send a care package? Yeah, for, there definitely were care packages and, you know, for me, I was writing letters uh, back home. So I'm sure there were a couple times, I can't remember off the top of my head, where I was like, hey, I need this or that. And then, you know, maybe Danielle or my parents or somebody sent it. One that was actually really amazing that came to me was from my aunt. And uh, there was like a blanket, like a knitted homemade blanket. But I was just sleeping in my army sleeping bag and... It's like all of a sudden I have this like quilt and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't ask for this, but my gosh, it's amazing. And, uh, but I think the things that come over there are what's important is kind of individual. Like, let's say if, you know, for my roommate, Hey, send me some things to entertain me. And he didn't even ask for Sopranos. We didn't know what Sopranos was. His wife was just like, here's a new HBO show called Sopranos. I hope you like it. Yeah. We're like, yeah, we love it. Sit in the next season. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, maybe you like sunflower seeds. Maybe you like cinnamon bears or whatever it is. But the th- cool thing was is that each time you get them, they mean something. And it you just feel, you know, they usually come with a letter or message. And it's just like, hey, it's mom. I love you. Here's what's been going on. And here's some gum. Here's a new toothbrush or whatever, you know, mom would send or Danielle would send and or maybe here's a book which, which is always nice I think there's a good balance of like what are some comforts from home that would be nice to have a little treat um and then also like maybe something entertainment but like you said I mean this is quite a while ago like I don't know now like maybe they just get everything they want I'm not sure okay but I think a care package or a kind letter is still means so much and um, it means quite a bit if you know the person. But even if you don't and you're just like, hey, because I did get one letter. It's like I'm random blah, blah, blah from fifth grade class in Wisconsin. Yeah. And somehow it came to me. And it's like, my gosh, you know, this kid in fifth grade is writing me this letter. And I was like, wow, it really took me back. So that was super encouraging to you. Just knowing that people are thinking about you, caring about you. Oh, yeah. Like that. And when it's people you know and love, I mean, that definitely means a lot. But even just randomly. And I know there were some more of those packages. And I don't know how they got dispersed exactly. I don't know the logistics. But I I remember hearing stories of guys in Kuwait before, before we went to Iraq or in Iraq. And we would get these... Uh, packages that could kind of be split up between some troops that were maybe from a church group or uh, from an elementary school class or something. And even those just mean a lot. You know, you get a cool message and you get some ranch corn nuts or some random thing and you're like, yeah. wow, okay, cool. They, it, they took the time and it meant enough to be like, I don't know who you are. I don't know you, but you're fighting for our country and – you're at war, uh, you know, 
good, bad, or indifferent, and we support our troops, and that's always a good feeling. Now, I was talking to um, someone not too long ago, and they were talking about Vietnam, how they would come home, and the actual like flight attendants um, or those from Delta or whatever would rush them in change clothes because there was such a protest outside of the airport for troops coming back. And I feel like now it's changed so that when people come home, they're getting, um, not parades. What would I like a welcome committee? They're getting a warm greeting. That's and, for sure. and people are sending things over to them to encourage them. And I want to continue that in some way. So one thing I'd like to do is to, Ask our listeners to continue that, to send care packages over. And over the next, the course of the next few weeks here on the podcast, we'll get you the information of where you can send them or, or what things are going to be asking for. But we'd like to do that to encourage the troops that are over there. Um, and again, just to give them some of the things they like, sunflower seeds, things like that. We're not trying to uh, make this political in any way, but just let's encourage people that are fighting for our freedom. And so we'll post that, some of that stuff on the Instagram site. And we'll also uh, kind of continue up and follow it up here on the podcast, because if that brought Zach some encouragement, then we want to keep doing that for the troops that are over there. So if you know a relative, send them a care package. If not, we're going to get some together. We're going to send them over to them. So on Zach, do you have something else to share? There's definitely one more thing I want to share. When we brought up the topic, um, I didn't know if I wanted to share it or not, but I at this point I definitely want to share it. We'll see if it hits over time or, or the main episode, or maybe it doesn't even go in. But one thing I wanted to share is that when you're – in country and you go on missions, there's definitely things that are tough and it's not something where some people definitely don't feel comfortable talking about it or sharing, but there is one story that I felt comfortable sharing to our listeners. And I'd like to do that now. Um, because I think it is important for some of us that have gone to war and come back and have come back to share some of the things that are tough and that didn't go well, um, that were sad, were impactful in our lives. And for me, the thing wasn't a direct engagement with the group I was with, and it wasn't even a battle between U.S. soldiers and, and terrorists or, or insurgents. Um, it was something that was really impactful in my life and hurt so much to see happen just in humanity in general. Um, the group I was with had a, a mission where um, we took a, a group to another base and on our return back, um, you know, I, I'd say we were probably like a mile away um, from a small city and, you know, we had driven through that city on our way to where we were going on our way back, we just saw a huge mushroom cloud of smoke. And we start doing our radio stuff. Hey, 
is anybody in the area is anybody else seeing this and at that point there there weren't any other u.s soldiers around so we are kind of the first ones into the situation and there was a suicide bomber that blew up an iraqi army checkpoint and it was a very tough situation to see um a two-story building completely blown up um it was right near a a river you know a bridge and a river and our group was very responsive people started helping with some medical aid um setting up security in case there was some sort of secondary attack it was really tough though just to see that the the fact that this person was at odds with another person's family and we we don't necessarily know the complete extent of all the reasons why it happened but just to see somebody that would end their life to attack you know another person's life and injure others was definitely tough to deal with and I definitely give a shout out to all of my friends and fellow service members that were there with me in that mission and they know who they are and they did a great job of responding of doing the best job they could it's one of the things that I'm most proud of personally for the actions that I took to help the situation and collectively that my group did and it's not even a, an engagement or getting hit by an ID or anything against the U.S. troops there. It was just a, a, a battle and, and a decision made between people that were in Iraq. And we were just the first ones to respond. And those are some of the saddest and hardest things to see in war. And I'm sure people listening that have been to a third world country or been to a, a war-torn country, they've seen those things that aren't a direct act of this army versus that army. It's just the collateral damage. It's the damage of people um, hating each other, hurting each other, um, you know, having vengeance and revenge against each other that was hard to see. But I did want to share that story. There's definitely more details I could go into um, if anybody reaches out and would like to know, that's as much as I wanted to share here. But it's just an example of U.S. troops showing up, helping as much as they can in those situations that weren't even directly or indirectly caused by them in any way. But you're just in a certain place at a certain time, and then you're there to help. And it's tough to... Uh, be in those moments and see those things um, but there's a lot of even though it's traumatic there's a lot of things to be proud of on the other side knowing that you did your best to help and support uh, those people that were hurt and injured in those situations thanks for sharing that that's <clears throat> I know that's not easy and I appreciate you sharing that and and the insight to that war is not always army to army. It's it's coming in and supporting people, just people and and serving them and um, trying to and 
help them feel safe, um, first aid, whatever it would be that that you go in and do that. And that's an important story. I thank you for sharing that. One more thing I would say too that you brought up earlier about the guys from Vietnam is a touching thing that happened for me is flying through Dallas Fort Worth on my way back and I sadly can't remember if this is when I was coming back from Iraq like at the end of the deployment for good or on my leave um, during my time in Iraq either way though there were Vietnam vets in that airport at the USO that were shaking our hands congratulating us and telling us we didn't get this but we're gonna we're here because we support you and because we didn't get this we are going to give you the treatment that we didn't get we're gonna tell you we're proud of you and whether you agree with the reasons that we're there or not or the weapons of mass destruction Bush Cheney any of that regardless mm-hmm we, you won't be treated like we were when we came back from Vietnam, man. And we could hold our heads high. And they came out there with their wives, with their kids, and even people that weren't Vietnam vets as well. But they came and said, we support our troops, and uh, you're important to us. You matter. And damn it, get some rest. You know, take mm-hmm. your mind off of it if you can. And uh, we're, we, we support your service. And that felt so good, man. It felt it feels good to hear that from anybody, or even when you say, "Hey, thanks for your service, man." It, it never gets old. It feels good, but when it's a Vietnam vet, there's just something, man, that brings a tear to my eye. That means more than more than anything, just because you know the way that they were treated, and they say, "No, we're rising above it. We're not going to let that happen again." We appreciate you guys, and it means so much. Yeah. Well, and. I do appreciate you and and those that are over over in Afghanistan still. Um, thank you. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate you sharing tonight. Um, it's never easy to share something that was so personal, impactful. Something that most of us don't understand and don't know, um, but we rely on people like you to give an insight into something that for me, I'll, I'll never understand. And so I appreciate you being vulnerable, being real with us tonight, um, sharing your stories and, um, man, all I can say is thank you to those who have served, who are considering serving. If your, your kid wants to go over and serve, if that's their passion, I encourage you to support them and let them follow that passion um, like Zach did. And uh, we're just going to close this out with saying, Zach, uh, thank you for letting us know you tonight. Thank you for being known and all of your support as we talk through this. And I know that normally we have a winners and losers, but we're going to skip that tonight and just end it this way. And I appreciate that. And uh, we'll, we'll bring those winners and losers back next week. Yes, we will. Thank you.